You're listening to the Galatians Spying Out Our Liberty in Christ series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Be in Galatians chapter 6 this evening. As Pastor was preaching his message this morning, um, I was just reminded of something that I've actually been amazed with over the past few months. And if you pay really close attention during services, and if you're here in the morning and the evening, I think you will notice a pattern. And the pattern is, it seems like when pastor preaches a message in the morning, I go and copy it for the evening service. <laughs> All right? and, and I always feel it when I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, that's a great truth. That's exactly what I was going to say. He just says it better. It's, a, it's been amazing, honestly, as I've sat back, just as we've spoken about the right use of Christian freedom, and then we're in the book of Corinthians in the morning, and book of Galatians at night, and two very different books with very different problems in those churches, and yet God is using his word in this area of freedom so clearly in the e- morning and the evening services. It's just, it, they're right on the same line, same topic, and many times I've noticed that even the same title could apply to both messages. And then we got into this spirit, and now I'm speaking with, I've been speaking about the fruits of the spirit for a while, and pastors in the gifts of the spirit, and it's how the spirit of God gifts and empowers his people and his body to do his work here, here on earth. And then even this, this morning, as pastor touched on the church as one body, that we are one body and we have responsibilities to one another, and that we should weep with each other and, and rejoice with each other, that, that there's this mutual responsibility, that God has this incredible plan with his church, that we should be using our gifts and using the, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives to help one another grow into who God wants us to be. And I, I've just been amazed. And so this morning I thought, dude, he's preaching well and he's preaching my message. Um, but it's, it was good. And so this evening we will be speaking about being burden bearers for one another and how we do that and how that works Um, The larger context is the proper use of Christian freedom. Paul has explained to us that we can't can't live out this Christian life in our own flesh, that our flesh only produces destruction, and so we need the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And so he's given us these fruits of the Spirit, which are the attitudes and the principles that Christians should live by, the things that should mark a Christian life, and will mark a Christian life as we walk with the Spirit. And now we see Paul not changing gears, but taking this principle and these attitudes and then applying it to a real situation in the church of Galatia. He's, he's putting it on ground level. He's giving an example of how this works. And so I'm going to start reading in Galatians chapter 5, verse 26. We're just going to start in that last verse because if I was Paul, I would finish and conclude this whole section with Uh, verse 25. Now, I understand Paul is not the one that put the chapter references there, so he didn't actually stop his thought there, but I think it's important for us to see how verse 26 transitions from living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit to how does that make a difference in your life within this church? And so in verse 26, he says, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another or envying one another. And see here, it's live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, Don't be desirous of vainglory. Don't make it all about you. Don't want other people to be impressed by who you are and what you are in the church. It's not about that. And don't envy one another, because as soon as you start envying other people, you start treating them badly. And all of this is connected back to what Paul said in verse 13 of chapter 5. 
He says, for brethren, you've been called into liberty. Only use not that liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So you're not supposed to be envious or, vain, or desiring your own glory. Um, what you're supposed to be doing is by love serving one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But look at verse 15, how verse 15 is so similar to verse 26. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed of one another. So we're getting this very, very clear picture that when you live by the Spirit, then there's this wonderful thing that happens in the church. That we are edifying one another, we're building one another up, that we're loving one another and pushing one another closer and closer to Christ. But as soon as we stop walking by the Spirit, we start walking, we start walking in our own flesh or allowing our flesh to control us, then there's just this infighting that happens. All of a sudden we become envious and it's all about me and it's all about my gifts and it's so, it becomes so clear to us as we look at all of these books of the Bible, and specifically here in 1 Corinthians and in Galatians, how much we need to be walking by the Spirit and how hopeless we are as soon as we start walking by our own flesh. So that's how Paul introduces this new topic, or not even new topic, but the continuation, this on the ground in verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now, chapter 6, verse 1 is, is a wonderful verse. But before we get into the specifics of the verse, I want to give you the context in which this verse makes sense. Because the truth is, Outside of the context of a local church and local church membership, this verse doesn't make much sense. Okay? So what I mean is, he says brothers. Okay? Now remember who he's speaking to. He's not, at this point, he's not speaking to all Christians everywhere at all times. Right? He's speaking specifically to the churches of Galatia. So specific local churches in the province of Galatia, at least four different churches he's speaking to. So he's speaking to these churches. He says brothers within the churches... If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now, this doesn't make sense if he means that it's my job to restore those Christians around the world that I don't know. Right? There has to be some specifics in this. It can't be just one Christian is responsible for all Christians. It can't be that all Christians are responsible for all Christians. It can't be that some Christians are responsible for all Christians, or that all Christians are responsible for some persons. Okay? It doesn't make sense unless we give parameters, a context. And the context that Paul is writing to in these churches is within your church. Right? And that has a lot of bearings for, for how we treat other Christians, how we view other ministries, okay? and, and how we view our church ministry how we view our church membership. So here it is, speaking to a church, and he's talking about if, if somebody in your congregation, if another brother and sister in Christ in your church membership is overtaken in a fault, okay, you're not responsible for those who are across town or on the other side of the world. We're responsible for those within this church body. And so if those folks are taken in a fault, what is a fault? Well, it's interesting that the word here is a misstep. And I think Paul is going along with the same pattern he's been using, where he's been talking about walking by the Spirit, the same analogy. You're supposed to walk by the Spirit, but if you misstep, if you step out of line from that walk 
walking by the Spirit, if you step into some kind of sin, and you're overtaken in that sin, that sin has some kind of control over you, then it's the job of the spiritual. Who are the spiritual? Those who are walking by the Spirit. It's not a certain group of people that we you know, categorize those people as the spiritual in the church that are supposed to deal with everybody else. It's just those who are walking by the Spirit. This is for everybody in the church. Okay, I hope you're getting, getting this. It's not like he's speaking directly to church leadership or to only one group of people. He's speaking to the church. He says those that are spiritual, that are walking by the Spirit, the Spirit, it's your responsibility to restore those who misstep. But then he gives a qualification to that. He says, be careful. Now, you need to do it in the spirit of meekness. That's, that's essential. In the spirit of gentleness, of kindness, of love, of compassion. It can't be in the spirit of superiority or self-righteousness. As soon as you come to somebody and you act like you know better than them and that you are so much greater, then you're not really helping the issue. We need to understand that, that by the grace of God, that's where we go. With every situation. There's only the grace of God stopping us from going into those sins. And so it's our job, those who are spiritual, to restore those, lest we also be tempted. And that's, that's where we need to, to be humble. Understand that, that you have responsibility to a person to the point where that destruction that's, that's going on in their life, that sin, is going to pull you down with it. That's important to know as well. There is a point where that restoration can't continue. Hey, you need to continue to be spiritual. So, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word there for burden is, it's literally a, a oppressing weight. Something that somebody cannot carry on their own. And so, he says, bear one another's burdens. Now, there's a lot of important truths, I think, that just come from this, this one verse. And the first one is that, Burdens are a reality. It's, it's really silly for us to think that when you come to Christ, you don't have any burdens. No, he's speaking to a church, and he's saying when you have burdens, it's your responsibility to bear one another's burdens, this oppressive weight. The second thing is, I think it destroys the myth of self-sufficiency, that we are okay on our own, that we can do it on our own. Okay? The Bible says that we're, it's a command to bear one another's burdens. That means those burdens exist, and we have responsibility to each other on, on how we deal with their burdens. So, so your burdens are supposed to be my burdens, and my burdens are supposed to be your burdens. I'm not supposed to. I'm not designed to do this on my own. And it's amazing how many people you talk to, and they say, well, yeah, you know what? I can, I can read the Bible, and I can pray in my own house. I don't need to go to church. I, I don't need to be a part of a community. And the Bible say, absolutely you do. You need it because your job is to bear somebody else's burden. And their job is to bear yours. How can you do that in your living room, watching a preacher on television? You can't. And so this is, it's so essential that we get, that we have this responsibility to each other. It's, it's sad that, I, I think because so many churches have, have made it more like they're a club. So you kind of become a member of this club, and then... The churches, they don't want to offend anybody, and they don't want to kick anybody out, and they don't want to, to really hold anybody accountable, because that's sometimes hurtful. Um, so, so church in, in North America, and probably, I'm sure it's happened throughout history and, and throughout the world, that it becomes less than what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this close-knit community 
where we know one another's burdens and we bear them and we're really invested and involved. And it's just, it's so easy to just show up and attend and go. And you can't do the things that you're commanded to do in the church if that's, if that's how you view church. So we bear one another burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's funny that in this, this letter that he's been speaking so much about not having to keep the law, that, that it's not about the law. He says you do need to fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? By love, serve one another. Love God, love your neighbor. And that's how we do it. We, we love each other, we care for each other. Verse number three. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If, if you're there, and you think you're special, and you think you can do it on your own, and you think you got it all together, and you think you don't need help, you're deceiving yourself. This is for all of us. We all need this. We are, it's amazing what Paul calls us, right? Nothing. When, when we think we're something, when we're nothing, that is, that is how we ought to think of ourselves, right? If it's not for the grace of God and the spirit of God in our lives and the people of God around us, we're nothing. We have no hope. We deceive ourselves. Verse number four. But let every man prove his own work, and then he shall re- have rejoicing in himself and not in another. And the, the idea there is you should examine yourself. And, and the great thing about this is that Paul is not content just to say, okay, you have to carry my burden and I have to carry your burden. He also says, and pay attention to yourself too. Hey, check out how you're doing. Are you carrying your own burden well? You should examine yourself. Um, see if you have the fruit of the Spirit. See if your work, your f- fruit, is what it ought to be. Because when you do that, you have rejoicing in himself. And that's not this, this kind of selfish pride. This is the knowledge that God is working in you. And, and can I tell you something? I think it is, it's wonderful to see believers in Christ that have been walking with Christ for a long time, that have been walking by the Spirit for a long time, and you see the fruit of their Spirit in their life, and they know it's there. It's not a bad thing to know that you've been walking by the Spirit, and that the Spirit has produced something in your life that has allowed you to be different than who you were by yourself. Now, as soon as you start taking the glory for that on yourself, then you're in big trouble. But it is, it is good. Paul said it. By the grace of God, I am what I am. It's, he's not who he used to be, right? So God has changed him, and we can, we can be glad in that without taking glory for it. Final verse, in verse 5, he says, For every man shall bear his own burden. And what's interesting there is that he uses, it almost seems like it contradicts verse 2, right? You're supposed to bear one another's burdens, and then he says, but you're going to bear your own burden. But the word burden there is a different word in verse 2. And so the word burden there is the same burden when, when Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay? And that is, that is a word that's usually used to describe the, the packs, the backpacks that a soldier would wear going into his army. It's actually the word that's used in Acts chapter 27 to refer to the ship's cargo. It's, it's the ship's burden. And the idea behind all of that is it's what belongs to you rightfully. And it's what you're made to carry. The ship is made to carry cargo. It's, it's, the, it's their burden, but it's, it's there for a reason, for a purpose. And the soldier, he's got a pack and he's, he's able to carry it. And you have a burden to bear. It's, it's 
when your burden is with Christ, it's easy, your burden's light, but it's yours to bear. And so don't, don't reject or renege on your responsibility. We all have a responsibility in this. We all bear a burden, and ultimately, we will all stand before Christ for what he's given us to bear. So what I want to do this evening is I want to give you four responsibilities that you have to God and to the church. Four responsibilities to God and to the church. The first one is the responsibility to recognize faults in our own lives. We have a responsibility to examine ourselves and to recognize faults in our lives. The truth is, you will never help somebody that doesn't think they need help, right? And so you, if you're a person who never thinks they need help, then you will come to a, a million services. You will be part of groups. You will be in fellowship with people. You will read the Bible. You will do all those things. And every time the Bible corrects you, you think you don't need it. If you don't think you're sick, why would you ever take medicine? And so you will never change unless you understand your need for help. And so you must recognize the faults in your life. In Luke chapter 5, verse 30, um, interesting scenario comes about. And the Pharisees are coming to the disciples of Jesus, not to Jesus directly. And so in verse 30, it says, But the scribes and the Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the publicans and sinners? And Jesus answered them and said, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, Jesus is not saying that there are some that are already righteous, and so they don't need me. What he's saying is, I can only call those who know they're sinners to repentance. And so you must recognize that you have faults. Uh, A theologian named Morrison said, The Christian church is a society of sinners. It is the only society in the world where membership is based upon the single qualification that a candidate shall be unworthy of membership. It's it's kind of interesting. Before you can be a child of God and be washed and be cleansed and be justified, you must realize that you are dirty and, and guilty and condemned. The command here is to bear one another's burdens. The assumption there is that we all have burdens, and you must recognize that you have burdens. We live in a society where everybody wants to blame everybody else. I mean, you've heard many, many stories about crazy lawsuits. The woman who had coffee spilt on her, and she didn't think it was going to be hot, so she sued McDonald's. Uh, um, Just crazy stories. But it's easy for us to laugh at those stories, and it's a lot harder in the middle of an argument or in the middle of a situation to realize that, that maybe we're in the wrong here, that maybe we are at fault. As soon as something goes wrong in our lives, we're looking for a person to blame. We never accept responsibility on ourselves. And I'm telling you, when I was studying for this message this week, it was like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me as I'm, you know, having a discussion or in an argument or, or speaking with my kids and just saying, you don't realize that this is your fault. You don't, like... He was pointing the finger at me constantly because I just wasn't getting that I was at fault and needing to actually allow the Spirit to show me that, needing to recognize my own faults. Because every single time, my first reaction was to blame somebody else or to, to put the blame elsewhere. Right? It's not me. The only reason I am this way is because of 
this situation, because of you, because of what you said, because of what they did. It's always somebody else. It's not always somebody else, though. And even if it, when it is partly somebody else, you're the one that responded. And you have the obligation to respond as Christ would respond. When he was reviled, he reviled not again, right? He forgave. He was this kind and gracious man. There's a, an interesting story. It was a shocking story because it's something you don't see happen very often. And it's about the Columbia Space Station. This was a space station that was in use in the USA um, for 22 years from 1981 to 2003. And the, sp- the space station was sent on 28 missions. 27 of those missions were very successful. But on the final mission, it was sent up. And during the launch, there was a piece of foam... And they used foam just to put around the gas tank to, to protect it from debris and other things while it's out there and to protect it from, from freezing. And so a piece of this foam had broken off and it hit a, a part of the wing. And this wasn't uncommon for foam to break off a little bit and for some of it to hit the outside of the, the station. But in this case, it, it was a little bit more of a problem. And so the... The station went up there. It was up there for two weeks. Everything seemed to be going well. It was time for it to come back down. And there was a little bit of concern that maybe there had been some damage on the way out, but they had kind of decided that it was better not to go in and try and to check to see if there's something that, they, that was wrong because they had no way of fixing it anyway. So better to just kind of send it back home and hope for the best rather than leaving it orbiting forever without ever being able to get it back home. So, this is, this is what, this is the whole story. The whole story is interesting to me. This is the part that I want you to pay attention to, though. The launch integration manager was named Wayne Hale Jr., and this is what he said. I had the opportunity and the information, and I failed to make use of it. I don't know what inquest or court of law would say, but I stand condemned in the court of my own conscience to be guilty not of preventing the Colombian disaster, He couldn't have prevented it. But the bottom line is that I failed to understand what was being told. I failed to stand up and to be counted. Therefore, look no further. I am guilty of allowing the Columbia to crash. Now, in the court of law, he he wasn't found guilty. They didn't lay blame. There's nothing that that really could be done. But here is, is a man that's willing to take responsibility. And that is so rare that it was shocking to everybody that this man released this statement. Incredible thing, because we live in a society where nobody wants to take responsibility. In a world not guilty, it is shocking when somebody admits to guilt. But as a believer, you're responsible. You're responsible to admit to guilt. You're responsible to recognize the sin in your life. And when the Bible here says that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens, he's not, God's, Paul, they're not trying to release us of our own responsibility they're trying to give us a way of saying, I am responsible, and this is, this is what I need to do to fix it. I'm even more responsible now because I know how to get the, the solution. The solution is that I need to be a part of a place where I can bear somebody else's burden and they can help me bear mine. That is the first responsibility. Responsibility to admit your faults. The second one is the responsibility to receive correction. So, you're getting that, hopefully, that if God clearly tells you about your sin, you should take care of it. Okay? it can we all agree on that? 
if God clearly tells us about our sin, then we should take care of it. But what if the person sitting beside you tells you about it? <clears throat> I hate that, don't you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, okay, if, if, I'm, if I'm, you know, spending my time, my devotion, and, and God is showing me gracefully how I need to change something in my life to better serve him, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go along with that. I'll do that. But man, when, when the person that comes to me is one of you, <laughs> it's harder. Especially if it's something that I really didn't think was there. Especially if it's something that I hadn't noticed before. And then all of a sudden you're telling me that I have this problem in my life. But you know what's amazing? That part of the design of the church is so that we'll correct one another. We'll instruct one another. We'll, we'll help one another see what is in our lives that we don't see. See, we don't understand this. And I don't think we understand the depth of it. But we are all, we're, we're blind to ourselves. We're self-deceived. We don't get to see ourselves like God sees us. And many times we don't see ourselves the way others are able to see us. If you're married, good idea to chat with your spouse. But what maybe she or he thinks that you could work on in Christian life? I bet they would have something for you. Right? We don't want to do that because we know that they will. But here's the thing. God does use people in our lives to show us what we need to change. And so we have the responsibility to receive correction. And many times we're willing maybe to receive it when we think really highly of the person. But can I tell you something? There are times that God will speak through somebody who is less spiritual than you. And there are times that God will speak through somebody who doesn't even speak to you the right way. Now, they don't come in the spirit of meekness and gentleness, but they're pointing out something in your life, and they're right. And, and this is what we need to decide. We need to decide if, if we would rather just be content to say, well, they didn't come to me the right way, or, well, look at their life and how terrible they are, or whether we want to say, okay, well, God, are you using this in my life, even if they did it wrong, even if they're not to the level I am in our eyes, am I willing to listen to this correction and apply it to my life? And we ought to be. God speaks through all sorts of people in all different kinds of ways, and it is very possibly confronted with sin in the wrong way, but for them to still be right. So what do we do? Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You understand that? That friends should wound you at times, and that it's a good thing. I love what David said in Psalm chapter 141, verses 3 to 5. He said, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. So he's, he's pleading that God will help him to control his flesh. Okay? Over my lips, set a door, keep watch. Verse 4, incline not my heart to do any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let not me eat of their dainties. Don't don't let me participate in that, that wicked and evil stuff. Don't let me speak that way, Lord. Help me to do right. And then in verse 5, let the righteous smite me. The word smite is beat. I mean, I, I, want, I want the righteous to give me a beating. Why? It shall be... A kindness. When they beat me, it is because they love me. It is a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be excellent oil, which shall not break my head. It's just wonderful verses that, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to imagine 
being grateful when I'm confronted with something that I'm doing wrong in my life. But that is how we ought to be. We have a responsibility to receive correction. And number three, we have a responsibility to confront sinful behavior in meekness. Here in this text, we see very clearly that within church, there is a responsibility to confront sinful behavior. And this is an essential ingredient in a healthy church. Because you think about pastor's analogy this morning, the analogy of Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, the, the church is the body. What happens when you have an infection in a part of the body and you just let that infection grow? And you don't tend to it and you don't confront it and you don't try and fix it. You don't cut it off. Right? I mean, there's a whole lot of ways of dealing with that infection, some more extreme than others, but you've got to deal with it, right? And when we have churches that they have no desire to confront sin in one another, that infection is just going to grow and grow and it's going to cause destruction and ultimately it's going to cause the death of that church. Very serious. I think there's a lot of dead churches simply for this reason. Because there was sin that was never confronted. And eventually, sin that's not confronted will be sin that reigns. The goal of it is always, the goal of discipline, of correction, of confrontation is always to restore in right fellowship with God and the church. But, but can you get this? If people are not in right fellowship with God, they should not be in right fellowship with the church. Right? I mean, how can you be in right fellowship with the church when you're not in right fellowship with Christ, right? How can you say, well, no, I, I love the bride, but I hate the groom. Just don't get along with that. I love the body, but the head, I'm just not okay with what the head is telling me to do. How hypocritical is it of us to pretend like everything is okay with people when we know there's nothing right between them and God? Oh, yeah, but we'll have this wonderful Christian fellowship with you. It just doesn't make any sense. What's the point? What is the point of, fellowship, of having fellowship with somebody that we know who is in disobedience to God, who is against God, at enmity with God? Right? Now, here, I'm, I'm, I hope you understand, I'm speaking of believers. Okay, now, it's a different situation. We are, when we're talking about unbelievers, we are called to go and win them. Right? And so it doesn't mean you never confront sin, but, but the goal there is to bring them to Christ, to show them the glory of Christ. But when we're dealing with and this is why membership is so important, isn't it? Because it, when we're dealing with members of our church, when we've covenanted together, then we have this responsibility to each other. We have to deal with the infections. We have to deal with the sin. And so we have a responsibility to confront sinful behavior, but, but understand this last point, and this, this thing that he makes very clear here, that we must do it in meekness. In meekness. Restoration cannot be accomplished without confrontation. And this, at times, might require firm words and stern rebuke. But can I show you what Luther said to pastors who had to, um, had to confront a brother who was sinning? This is what Luther's advice was to them. They said, run to him, and reaching out your hand, raise him up, comfort him with sweet words, and embrace him with motherly arms. It needs to be done. We can't just, just let sin rule in our church. But at the same time, we must do it in meekness, not in self-righteousness, not in superiority, not, not with just this only desire for truth with no understanding of our need to love. 
we need to love people and love them enough to show them the truth, but do it in a way that we, that we empathize with them, that we understand that, that their sin could be our sin. And so we love them and we try and restore them. Finally, we must recognize that we are all ultimately accountable to God. Ultimately, we are all accountable to God. Ultimately, we all have our own burden. And so what I want you to get from this point is that this is not the pastoral leadership trying to strategically maneuver so that we can create a people who were, you know, people will be more impressed that you're from our church. It's not like we're just trying to, to figure out a way to get you to be better. Okay, one way of doing that is so that we can kind of get you to correct each other. That, I mean, not a bad plan, but it's not our plan, Right? It's not about the leadership. Here, it is about you as an individual having responsibility to your God. And your responsibility to God means that you have responsibility to those in this church and to yourself. Okay? But that, that's the first one. That's the one you have to get. Because at the end of the day, you stand before God. Okay? You have a burden to, to bear. And he, t- he tells you here in verse 5, Every man shall bear his own burden. You're going to bear that burden. And so the question isn't, are you going to bear a burden? Or The question is, are you going to bear it in the way that God tells you to? And the way that we're supposed to live this life is in community with one another, correcting one another, helping one another, building each other up, and confronting one another when we, go, when we do the wrong thing. And we, we bear each other's burdens, that, that overwhelming weight. And that, that's what allows us to, at the end of the day, say, we're trying to bear our own burden responsibly. Um, Edward Beecher said that the church is not a gallery for the exhibition of eminent Christians, but a school for the education of imperfect ones. That's what the church is. (laughs) We're all imperfect Christians, every single one of us. And we are all growing and learning and being educated. And far too often... We've learned to come to church and put on a show. Come to church and pretend we're something we're not. And it's just, it's foolish to do that. We all need help. And so allow us, allow others around you in your, in your church to bear your burdens. And make sure you're there to bear those. This, this, this whole system doesn't work if we're just going to be hypocritical and fake and phonies. We need to be honest. We need to truly love and admit that we're not perfect admit our faults, uh, receive correction, be willing to correct when it's necessary. This whole thing doesn't work if this is just meeting together as a social nicety. Okay? Church isn't always nice. We have responsibility to receive correction, to give correction. We have responsibility of individuals to personal holiness before God. We have responsibility as a church to take sin seriously and to deal with it. I, I read this poem this week, and it was kind of a, it's a tragic poem. And I think it all too often describes what happens with people when they come to church. And it's, it's written by a child. It says, Sunny, Sunday is a funny day. It starts with lots of noise. Mommy rushes around with socks and Daddy shouts, you boys. Then Mommy says, don't blame them. You know you're just as bad. You've only just got out of bed. It really makes me mad. And when we get to church at last, it's really very strange Because mom and dad stop arguing, and suddenly they change. At church, my mom and dad are friends. They get along very well, but no one knows they've had a row, and I'm not going to tell. Daddy loves the meetings. He's always at them all. 
He's learning how to understand their letters of St. Paul. But Mummy says, I'm stuck at home to lead my Christian life. It's just as well for Paul, he didn't have a wife. I once heard my mummy say she'd walk out of his life. I once heard daddy say to her he'd picked a rotten wife. They really love each other. I really think they do. I think the people in the church would help them if they knew. That's, I mean, we all need help, right? And if we're faking it, it's stupid. This whole thing is a waste of time if, if we're coming to put on a show. We have this responsibility so clearly given to us that, that we're to bear one another's burdens. We need to be honest. We need to be transparent. We need to help one another to love Christ more and more. Can I just finish by reading you this incredible, um, this incredible statement that I read this week? It's from a Baptist church in 1790, and it's part of their church covenant. So this, is, this is what they covenant together. It says, we pledge to walk in love toward those with whom we stand connected in the bonds of Christian fellowship. As the effect of this, we will pray much for one another. As we have opportunity, we will associate together for religious purposes. Those of us who are in comfortable situations in life, then some of our brethren, will regard to the things of providence of God, they, they came from God, will administer as we have ability and see occasion to their necessities. We'll, we'll take care of one another's needs. We will bear one another's burdens, sympathize with the afflicted in body and mind so far as we know their case, under their trials, and as we see occasion, advise, advise caution, and encourage one another. We will watch over one another for good. We will studiously avoid giving or taking offenses. Thus, we will make it our study to fulfill the law of Christ. What if we had that kind of commitment to one another? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've given us the church.